Today's scripture reading comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 10 through 16. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. This is the word of God. Good morning. If you are, if this is your first time here or if you are fairly new to our church, just want to say that we are so glad that you are here to join us in worship this morning. And we've been going through a sermon series on the book of Hebrews, and we've been trying to explore this theme of who Jesus Christ is and what does it mean to trust him in times of much Uh, hardship, suffering, and persecution. And as we continue in our series, we are going to see Jesus Christ is our usher. So I'm going to ask that you will join me in prayer as we dive into the word this morning. Lord God, we come before you. We honor you. We thank you, Lord God, for you allow us to be here in your presence this morning. Lord God, wherever we are, wherever we stand, whatever brokenness, whatever suffering, whatever persecution, Lord God, we may be experiencing, Lord God, may you give us peace, may you grant us strength during these times. And Lord God, may this word speak as we try to explore the understanding of who you are and how we can find our hope in you. Lord God, I pray that you will use me accordingly to your strength. For these are your words. Lord God, I desire to be an instrument with, in the Redeemer's hands, Lord God. So use me accordingly to your strength. Lord God, we praise you. We honor you. We thank you in your son's name. We pray. Amen. Outside of the current role where I have the high honor of sharing this word, uh, I actually work within the field of retail. And the store I'm currently at is at a larger scale. Uh, There's different components. There's sales, there's service and training. So what's extremely important uh, is to make sure that as soon as the customers come in, there has to be an employee waiting up front to help navigate these customers to the right place. Now, after every sale, after every service transaction, after every trading session, the customer gets a survey, and it rates us accordingly to our abilities. But what's interesting is this. We can be the most knowledgeable about our product. You can provide the best service You can be the best instructor, 
but our ratings will show that if the customer isn't properly greeted or if that person is not directed to the right location, our rating will actually be very low. We get responses like, the service was great, but I wish I knew where to go. I loved the person assisting me, but no one greeted me and I felt lost. In other words, it's important for the customer to have someone ushering them in their journey. And so it is with the Christian faith, the centrality of Christianity, that it's about someone guiding us to our pathway of salvation. And we find it in Jesus Christ alone that he ushers us in every step of the way. If I can say it this way, Christianity is not an overanalyzed roadmap of where to go and not to go, but Christianity is the navigation system that leads us and guides our sinful yet saved soul. Jesus Christ prepares the way. And so here we are in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10 through 16, that specifically tells us how Jesus Christ prepares the way. And I got three points for y'all as we navigate through the text this morning. First point is that Jesus ushers us into his presence. Jesus Christ ushers us out to be present. And finally, Jesus ushers us for his praise. First point, that Jesus ushers us into his presence. Look at verse 10 with me. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. See, in the times of the Old Testament, the altar was untouchable. It was sacred. And the high priests themselves were un numerous restrictions. Leviticus chapter 6 verse 30 specifically prohibits the Levitical high priests from the eating of the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. What's the Day of Atonement? The Day of Atonement was the yearly ritual where God's people would be forgiven through animal sacrifice. See, under Old Testament law, forgiveness from God was temporary. The fact that the sin offering was offered annually showed that sin could not truly be atoned for by mere animal sacrifices. It was not enough. There had to have been a greater sacrifice. Verse 11 and 12 proclaims this truth. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gates to make the people holy through his own blood. The unnamed author of Hebrews is making it very clear for us that the bodies of the animals sacrificed on that day were burned outside the camp of Israel. And in the same manner, for Jesus Christ to truly atone for the sins of the world today, it is appropriate for Jesus to suffer outside the city gate. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 echoes this, For Christ also suffered 
once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. If I can make this clear for y'all, Jesus Christ experienced outside suffering. He experienced complete abandonment from God the Father, and he was outcasted from society. So you and I can experience inside joy, true intimacy, and ultimate forgiveness because of the once and for all sacrifice on the cross. Outside suffering in exchange for inside joy. And just as the altar was a place where sins were forgiven, the cross for you and I is a symbol to remind us that our sins are forgiven. The only difference is that the altar of the old tells us of our status as outsiders, while the cross of Jesus Christ tells us of our status as insiders. You and I have a new altar. The cross reminds us of this and that we are accepted. You and I are on the inside. You and I can celebrate in joy knowing that you will always have a seat at the dining table of grace. Why is this important? Think about this. Life is all about being accepted. Life is all about wanting to be on the inside. If we're honest with ourselves, we kill ourselves every single day of our lives just to be accepted into certain communities, cultures, religions, and cities. But it's this very desire of wanting to be accepted. accepted. It's the thing that enslaves our soul to constantly work for titles, to constantly work for relationships, to constantly work for status. It's these very things we try to find inside acceptance that actually makes us more tired. It makes us confused and discontent because of a constant life of sacrifice for temporary acceptance, if I may explain. Growing up as a Korean-American in a non-Korean context, even though I am incredibly thankful for it, for it did shape me in such amazing ways, it nonetheless did come with much difficulty. My times in elementary school, in particular, were very difficult. Specifically, what was most difficult was lunchtime. See, it was lunchtime when I realized that I was a little bit different. See, during lunchtime, everyone would have their sandwiches, their potato chips, and their huggies. Y'all don't know what huggies are. That's like the juice of all juices. <laughs> but here I am as a Korean-American. I would open up my lunch, and here I am with white rice, marinated beef, and spicy fermented cabbage which many know as kimchi. As soon as I opened this lunch, it became the roast of this poor Korean child. 
I remember the teasing and the judgment because of this strong smell of spicy fermented cabbage. And if I'm honest, it definitely is not the most pleasant smell to the untrained nose. So what would happen was after this teasing and just the unease of feeling so outcasted, I would run to my parents and I would beg them, change my lunch so I can feel more accepted. So eventually, here I was with my sandwich, chips, and huggy. See, the lunchroom is where I sacrificed my cultural identity just so I can feel like I'm on the inside with a dominant culture. I compromised my identity to be accepted into another community. See, it's this very idolatry of being accepted over the years that has left me in a much confused state of identity, confusion, and even anger because of my cultural upbringings. See, in the same way, you and I are often inclined to compromise our true identity in Jesus Christ just so we can feel acceptance to the things that surround us. See, life is all about acceptance and being on the inside. But the gospel gives us great hope. For the gospel tells us because Christ suffered on the outside, we are now ushered into the presence of God. Meaning this, you don't have to wrestle about your identity anymore, for you are identified by the blood of Jesus. You don't have to work yourselves into acceptance because Christ did it on the better altar, which we see as the cross. Jesus Christ ushers us into the presence of God and this leads us to the second point. He ushers us out to be present. Now, Jesus suffered on the outside, so you and I can be inside. But what's interesting is verse 13. Look at verse 13 with me. It tells us, let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. See, Hebrews was written to a persecuted people group. And he is saying, he is commanding them to bear the disgrace. Don't seek a different circumstance. The author is not trying to offer hope in a change of circumstance. Rather, he's telling the people, embrace the suffering and persecution. Listen, when you are in union with Jesus Christ, the one that suffered Outside, you and I in the same way are to live a life of suffering outside. And the question is, what does disgrace look like as the author of Hebrews is applying? Well, within the Old Covenant, if you were a Sabbath breaker or if you were considered a blasphemer, you would be taken outside the camp to be stoned. Now, I don't think the author of Hebrews is saying you better not skip Sunday service or you're going to get it. But what I do think is he's echoing Mark chapter 8 verse 34 that says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In other words, we must be prepared to go out to join him. 
to carry the heavy weight of our own cross. Whatever the shame, whatever the persecution, whatever the suffering that may be involved, you and I are called to go outside the camp. See, because of our inside acceptance we have in Christ alone, it should be the conviction, understanding, and joy of going outside to, a, to be present in a dark and broken society. On April 16, 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. would write his infamous letter known as the Letter from a Birmingham Jail. This letter was specifically to white Protestant clergymen of Birmingham, Alabama. See, the issue was that these clergymen, they expressed that King and his associates were a little bit too radical in their pursuit of racial equality. And a battle against racial segregation should be fought solely in the courts, not the streets. So specifically, King and his associates were asked to stay quiet because they were outsiders of Birmingham, Alabama. So what did Martin Luther King Jr. do in this letter? He responded to the criticism that he and his fellow activists were outsiders coming in, causing trouble in the streets of Birmingham, Alabama. How does King respond and explain? Hear these words. I am in Birmingham because injustice is here just as the prophets of the 8th century B.C. left their villages and carried their, thus says the Lord, far beyond the boundaries of their hometowns, and just as the Apostle Paul left the village of Tarsus and carried the gospel of Jesus Christ to the far corners of the Greco-Roman world, so am I compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my own hometown. See, for Martin Luther King Jr., it was his inside faith and acceptance in Christ that compelled him to live faithfully outside in an unjust and inhumane system of oppression. In the same way, may our identity in Christ alone be the sole conviction for you to live outside as functional lights into a very dark and broken world, to be ready to bear the disgrace, to bear in suffering, persecution, and brokenness. These are difficult times. We are in times of much persecution, just like the Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews knows this. That's why he tells us in verse 14, read with me, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. This verse alludes to an earlier passage, a passage we've actually been studying quite often. It's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 through 16. I'm going to read a little bit for y'all. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. 
Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one, for he has prepared a city for them. See, what we see in Hebrews chapter 11 is that this is a reference to the godly figures in the Old Testament. And what made them so godly was not necessarily their work ethic, but it was their faith alone during faithless times. They would be honored as men and women into the hall of faith as they looked for the city that is to come. Listen, some of you may feel like the temperature outside is getting a little too hot. Maybe you want to run back inside or maybe you want to completely leave the faith alone. But may you this morning be encouraged for there is a greater city that's to come. And the prophecy of Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 which declares, There before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. It will be fulfilled. There will be praise. There will be joy and honor to the king above all kings. And this leads us to our third point, that Jesus Christ ushers us for the praise of his name. Look at verse 15 with me. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Jesus, once and for all sacrifice, makes further animal sacrifices unnecessary. There is no need for a day of atonement, for his days are everlasting. But what must take place in light of the regular sacrifice of animals? It must be replaced for a Christian life that consists of the praise of God. Now, what I love about this verse is that there's a reference to the fruit of lips. I love that. What does fruit of lips mean? Well, to help us understand the fruit of lips, we have to look at the verse that it's alluding to. Specifically, it's in the Old Testament minor prophets, specifically Hosea chapter 14, verse 3, says, Forgive all our sins and receive us graciously, and we shall give back to you the fruit of our lips. What's Hosea trying to tell us? Hosea is telling us that the fruit of lips stems from the forgiveness of sins. What does that tell us right now in the moment as we are sitting here listening to these words? For us to truly have a heart of worship, it must begin with a heart of repentance. In other words, the bitterness of the heart leads to the fruit of our lips. The sourness of our soul leads to the worship of his name. If I may explain, when you first buy fruit at the grocery store, it's usually very bright, very colorful. But if you taste it immediately, it's actually very starchy and inedible. So to really enjoy the flavor of the fruit, it has to go through this process known as ripening. 
What's ripening? Ripening is a process in which fruits attain their desirable flavor, the quality to become a little more edible. The process is really the conversion of starch to sugar. But this actually makes the fruit visibly less desirable. It's not as bright. There becomes brown spots and bruised spots. But the fruit itself now becomes a little bit softer. It becomes a little bit sweeter as it begins to ripen. If I can be honest with you guys, some of us in this room may desire for our worship to be sweet, but you're not willing to admit the sourness of your sin. If you want the fruit of lips that praise the sweetest name of Jesus, you must admit that your soul is filled with bitterness and they, there is a sour taste because of an unrepentant heart. And the only way for this to change is to go through the ripening process, the sanctification of your soul through repentance, only then to praise him with the fruit of lips that openly profess the name of Jesus Christ. I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you stand with him this morning. Maybe you've felt like you're, you've been outside a little too long. Maybe you feel like your heart's just a little bit too better. I just want to let you know that you can come in the honest truth of repentance. You can come and admit and to say that Jesus Christ, I often find myself trying to navigate life by my own but I need you to usher me into your presence. In other words, may you come to the altar for his arms are open wide. I'll close with this last note. I'll be out your way. But I just want to read verse 16 for us. Read with me. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. See, in verse 16, here we are seeing this rich description of the mutual practice of doing good to one another in a covenantal community. Specifically in verse 16, the word that stands out to me is the word share. The word share stems from the Greek word, which is koinonia. Now, here in this context, when you see the word share or koinonia, it's referred to a financial generosity. But when you look at that word koinonia throughout Scripture, it's actually much deeper than that. It's rooted in this notion that you are in a covenant community between people and that there is true intimacy with God and his church. What's the point? What better way to understand Jesus Christ as the true usher, the one that prepares a way by this truth that he calls us to koinonia fellowship, that he calls us to do life in community, to share with others, to do good, and to practice this intimacy amongst his people. This morning as we head out, as we continue to be light unto a city, 
know that you are not alone in doing it. And there is not only the grace of God, but he offers that grace through his people, koinonia, fellowship, until a new city comes. Will you join me in prayer this morning?